Pluff mud. Pluff mud. That is a term, a South Carolina term. Okay. For a mixture of water and dirt. Inspired by the adventures of our nurses, therapists, and techs, A Beer with Atlas is the only healthcare traveling, craft beer drinking podcast. Each week, we'll open a few beers, talk about the brewery and the style of beer, and then dive into some research curated specifically for each episode. In the end, we hope each one sounds like a conversation you'd have with your friends while enjoying a few cold ones. Welcome to another episode of A Beer with Atlas. I'm Rich. And I'm Brian. And as always, uh, producer Dolan on the on the uh, controllers over there. Yeah, he's on the knob yeah, here. There we go. Turning dials. And... I, I told Dolan I would introduce him this time just because I've been listening to other podcasts and the yeah. producers have that personality, right? And they pipe in every once in a while. And he's got personality, and let me tell you. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of our punching bag, but it's a personality, I well, guess. It's all right. He's our punching bag sometimes, too. Right? He punches back. That's w- fine. When he has to. Totally fine. He can edit us out like right there. He's there just like, Bloop. turn you down. Yep. <laughs> so producer Dolan on the uh, on the controls for us today. Uh, by the way, you can cut this out, Dolan, but that was totally just deja vu for me. Weird. Why? I don't know. I just had that conversation before in my head. Wow. Even the whole part where I was like, oh, he just turned me down. Like, really? I've, oh, yeah. I just, ooh, cool. <laughs> I love it when that happens. Wow. I haven't even been drinking yet, guys. All right. Well, let's get into it then. I don't so. think. Holy City Brewing Company out of North Charleston, South Carolina. That's yeah, that's a tongue twister. That's a lot. North Charleston, South Carolina. Ooh. So thanks to uh, Mary Mitchell, our our traveler there on the East Coast, the one that brought us yeah. the uh, action figures beer. Boy, she's she's turning to be the MVP absolutely lately of this yeah. show. Uh, Sorry, you work with Braden. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's that's the negative part, I suppose. Mm, but yeah. the positive is you get to share these great beers with us. Yeah, true. So thank you. So she uh, she sent us a little care package, and this was one holy of, cow. That looks exactly like what they said it looks like. Yeah. This was one of them that she sent. It's called Pluff Mud Porter. Pluff Mud. Pluff. P L U F F. Pluff Mud. Mud M U D Porter. I, I don't I don't even know what to think about it. I don't even know I, I know I'm not necessarily a Porter fan. Do you hear that? I do. I hear nothing. What? Nothing? I'm there it came back. Am I here? I seriously thought you were just turning dials, Dolan. Oh, no. Nope. Yeah, there we go. No, I wasn't turning anything. There we go. So I'm not necessarily a Porter fan. I don't know what a Porter is, maybe? I've had, you know, I started out kind of with some Porters, right? That's that's a gateway into a stout for me. Okay. I was going to say, isn't it just a wannabe stout? That's, you know, it has its own uh, unique uh, mouthfeels. It's a little bit thinner than a stout. The alcohol uh, content is lower, um, but it's mm. a it's a good jumping off point to get into a stout. It's kind of a little bit. It's like one step past a brown, okay. and then we're getting to a porter. It gets a little darker, a little roastier, a little maltier. Color should be darker. Where does a dunkel fall on this on this food chain? Well, it's a different style of beer. Mm-hmm. Um, the Still- malt is different, but it's. It's a darker, right? It's a darker beer, yeah. Okay. It's just a d- different... F- it won't taste as malty or roasty mm-hmm. as this will. 
Um, the color is the closest thing that has in common, but the flavor is, is different. So I had a delicious dunkel in uh, Bavaria in Epcot when we went a couple of weeks back. Nice. It was delicious. Mm. Mm. It was very Bavarian. Very Bavarian, just like the pretzel. Did mm. you have a pretzel? I did, with some delicious stone ground mustard. Oh, boy, you were mm. in heaven with that awesome. mustard. Awesome. Mm. All right, let's, let's, let's try this pluff mud porter. Something's never changed. Yeah. Some hmm. Santa Claus guys just walked through the door. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Looked they looked at. I was looking at the beer. I was smelling it. And they looked, and they looked at me and they did like one of the classic double, take, double takes. Right? Hey, almost was a spit take if what, that guy would have been drinking. What time is it? Are they drinking at work? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm not yet. Let me try it. Okay. So my first, my first take is this is not what I thought it was going to taste like. That's good. It tastes chocolatey to me. Mm-hmm. There's but a, light, very light. Almost a carbonated chocolate, kind of? maybe? It's just thin. Yeah. You know, when you see that color, you expect it to be a little bit mm-hmm. thick. I thought it was going to be a way more powerful than what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw in their description, it was like, you know, this is good for this time of year, but it's uh, re- it's light and refreshing, so mm-hmm. you can drink it all year round. Yep. Because uh, it gets pretty hot there, and it stays pretty warm all year round it's not like you know it's not like here sure where we got negative temperatures so i I wonder if it's almost like a regional style porter because it's very very thin Mm -hmm. is it maybe my perception of porters has always maybe been close to that stout like they're just like the brother and sister maybe or it could be or or and and you know you see like the the porter is the you know, the pictures or whatever is the guy with the beard and the big mug and it you yeah. know it's it's like log cabin and sure right that, you that know. could be it uh, a lot of it is just the color you know people mm. are always like oh i don't drink dark beer you know that's what a lot of people say sure. before they drink dark beer mm-hmm. or they before they've had a good one it's like oh mm-hmm. i don't drink that's too strong I'm like well actually it's less strong than some of the beers you're used right. to drinking this is 5.5 percent yeah. it's not heavy at all it's like a you know like a pilsner mm-hmm Unfortunately, is that the the Guinnessification of of beer of, of maybe I don't want to say beer culture, but maybe like amateur beer culture? Guinnessification. I just made up a word there. Yeah, yeah you did. I would not want to spell it. No. Um, it could be. I just think it's it's just human nature, really, to be like scared of things you don't understand, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And this is something like you've told yourself already. Most times, people drink these kind of beers mm-hmm. if they haven't had them before. Like, oh, this I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to like this. It's going to be too strong. That's the main conception. Yep. People think it's going to be strong because yep. it's dark. And I've I've been guilty of that. Dolan's been guilty of that too. I think, mm-hmm. haven't you? Yeah. I so. think everybody does, especially once you're just kind of starting to get into this game, yeah. you know. And then you've got to try different. And like this is totally different porter than what you would get out of like Colorado. No, like yes, founders or something. I have a question. What what uh, is it like a stout? Do you want it to warm up? A you, little bit. Yeah, you can. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna change a little bit as far as flavors and stuff go. Mm-hmm. I prefer mine colder, but um, I don't know. I'm not one of those guys that really likes a room temperature stout anyway. So you can. I mean, it's mine's going to just because I have to talk so much mm-hmm. today, but um, <laughs> it's not gonna hurt it. It will change the flavor a little bit. Yeah, hmm. I'll do my talking first here, just to yeah, sure. give you give you a little drinking. I'll, I'll wet my whistle. There you go. So Holy City Brewing, forty one fifty five Dorchester. Road. I don't think they say it there. Probably, probably not like that. No, there. no. no. Uh, Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina. Open Sunday through Thursday, eleven to eight. Friday and Saturday, eleven to nine. 
This is super interesting. You know I love these stories. Mm-hmm. I love these stories. Yeah. How these dudes like get to where they are mm-hmm. right now, right? To this point in time. Holy City Brewing was born out of a bicycle shop garage. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So the one dude was a uh, worked on bicycles. Okay. Right? Joe Carl and Sean Nimitz were business partners in Charleston running a rickshaw business. Not making this up. Rickshaw business. They were running a rickshaw business. Right. So uh, that's probably fairly unique for to come together for a brewery. Right. Hmm. So during these slower winter months, obviously you're not going to run a whole lot of rickshaws, you know, during the winter months. uh, They would homebrew in the back of this bike shop, and they built their first, you know, homebrew system out of old bicycle parts. What? (laughs) Yes. Wow. Out of old bicycle parts. Huh. Uh, reminds me of the like this the uh, Sierra Nevada guy. The, the uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, you know, buying old milk jugs and, oh, and yeah. you know milk and making kegs out of milk jugs and anything you can buy on the cheap and then welding, and going to school at night to learn refrigeration because he doesn't want to pay some dude to fix his cooler. He wants to fix it himself. That's and, pretty cool. Yeah, you know that type of thing. So they met. Uh, they knew Mac Minudo. Minado. Sorry, Mac. Sorry, Mac. We'll go with Mac. They met Mac while uh, working. He was working in the biodiesel industry, which is interesting. Uh, He decided to come home to Charleston, invested in a four thousand square foot space for his biodiesel business. So he was gonna, he was gonna work that business there. In in, I'll be honest, biodiesel. I I I wouldn't have the first clue as to why you would need four thousand square feet. Anyway, thought he needed four thousand square feet. Thanks to the government and some tax credits, never panned out. He was stuck with a building and no business. Oh, yeah. So he told his story over some beers to Joel and Sean. Probably some homebrew, I'm guessing, from yeah. the from the bicycle beer nice. contraption. Yeah, and uh, they thought, well, maybe we should do something here. Then they met a guy named Chris Brown. He was a food and beverage guy that had attended brewing school, worked in Colorado at a brewery for a while, came back, worked in Atlanta at a brewery for a while. Uh, the four of them was decided, you know, let's give up our day jobs and, and brew full time. Mm-hmm. And so in July of 2011, they opened... Holy City Brewing. A, by 2012, they had won their first Great American Beer Festival medal. So one year in, one year in. Wow. Yeah, and I didn't, I couldn't find which beer it was. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they had won probably their, one of their first flagship beers, I mm-hmm. guess. You know, well, interesting too, because if in in some of my research, uh, this is this Pluff Mud Porter is mm-hmm. one of the first that shows up. Yeah. On so maybe this is one of their flagship beers. Maybe this yeah, is it, one. It definitely is one of their flagships. I saw that um, I was, when I was perusing a little hmm. bit so um and this could just be maybe a, a south carolina thing i don't know and maybe maybe i'm more used to maybe midwest you know nebraska colorado kansas mm-hmm. the tap room doesn't allow dogs which i think dogs and breweries go a, hand in hand maybe it's a health code legal sort of situation in the state yeah, yeah that would probably be my guess i'm gonna attribute it to that because who doesn't like dogs right and especially even, when you're drinking beers. Even cat people seem to you know, secretly mm. like dogs, Yeah, I are think. You, are you more of a dog or a cat person? Well, that's a great question. Um, probably, a, I don't know, probably a cat person. You're wrong. You think I'm a dog person. <laughs> I don't know. I like, I like the idea of a sassy cat, which is one I have mm. at my house. Okay. Cats don't give no Fs, man. That's true. They're doing whatever, they, unless they need something from you. Yep. They act like after 15 years, they don't even know who you are. Mm. And I kind of like that, that yeah. independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, dogs, you know, dumb mm. for the most part, cute. 
Sure. But boy, they're they're not as smart as a cat. There's pluses and minuses, okay. I suppose. All right. Dolan's a dog guy. Dog all yeah. the way. Yeah. I've tried to own cats, and they just don't like you me. You can't own a cat. They own you. That's the first <laughs> problem you mm. ran into. You try to tell it what to do like it's a kid. True. They won't listen. <laughs> so since the... Uh, since their inception there in 2011, they've expanded to two other locations. One is just a brewery-only location. They're not open to the public okay. right now. So maybe the original 4,000 square feet where they, you know, where they started when Mac had, you know, bought that building or, yeah. or whatever. That's they're still their their location. Uh, they got another location where they just brew. And then not too long ago, in fact, I think it was earlier this year, they opened a joint collaboration called Baker and Brewer. Uh, with EVO Pizzeria and Cafe Baker and Craft Bakery, uh, located at ninety four Stewart Street in Houston, right? Would, that's the one I'd be at. Beer, pizza, and maybe like a scone or something. Mm. Mm. Yep, muffin. Uh, there's a speaking a of nice dogs, Golden just, just walked through the door. Yeah. We're having quite the visitor list today with Santa's okay. helpers and a and a golden retriever. Oh, tis the season, so it is. I guess. It was. I can't wait to hear, hear where we're going with this. Well, you didn't mention this, so I'll start. Okay. Pluff mud. Pluff mud. That is a term, a South Carolina term. Okay. For a mixture of water and dirt. It's indigenous to that area. It's really full of minerals. Okay. And it's like just decomped uh, vegetation from the water that gets to the ground. Uh, it's almost like... Uh, marsh, I guess, basically would be the best way to put it. Okay. This area of South Carolina where this brewery is from. Okay. And that's the term. So if you think of mud and water, that's, <laughs> that's coming out of this can, fellas. When you pour it. That's the term. That's why it's called that. That's why that guy's standing in that knee-deep stuff. Oh. That's pluff mud. Okay. It helps them um, agriculturally. I would think it'd be rather nutrient-rich, probably. Yes. So... I wanted to find out a little bit more about that and just the area of the state. Uh, one of the terms I came across was low country. Okay. And I know that term from food because okay. it's a style of food from South Carolina. And okay. I've, I've seen it before and it's something that I'm into. So I did a little research on that as well. Uh, let's see. What was it? I had a couple other brewery things specific that you didn't hit that okay. I did write down. Let's see here. Oh, um, the pluff mud. Mm -hmm. They said that it has an odor, a smell, and that locals like it. And if you're a tourist, you think it stinks. Okay. So maybe it's just because you're not used to that smell. Mm. I don't know if that's similar to like, you know, uh, mm. livestock, you know, like if you're from the farm sure. where the packing yeah. house is mm -hmm. or whatever, like, you know that smell mm -hmm. and other people don't and you're just like yeah, yeah. i'm used to it it sure. doesn't bother me uh there's a paper mill down in arkansas like maybe by fort smith maybe okay and it stinks that whole town the wind is right and you're driving through there it's like oh my god oh. how do people live here and they do well that's like um when i went to my first green bay game we would drive through like it's like nina menasha that area mm -hmm. of uh wisconsin and there's paper mills and in both of those towns and it's just it just stinks yeah. so bad mm. but people around there are just like they, they kind of almost embrace it they're that's used to the same thing with this pluff mud that's the mm. that's the thing i could um equate it to was like paper mill smell i guess mm. um around the time the brewery was open they either passed a new law or repealed an old law uh which allowed for alcohol 
uh, ABVs to be stronger. Oh, so they were a three two something. I don't know if that was the before. number, but it was lower. Okay, I only and say then, that because of that. That was Kansas. That I means right. that's that's the life I lived early. Sure, and that's and that's still the same. I think in like Utah and some mm-hmm. other places we've talked about on the show, but mm-hmm. that was. This was like in 2011, 2010, 2011. Mm. And now, so then breweries could start brewing stronger beers. Gotcha. So that was one of the, probably one of the instigators for these guys hmm. uh, to open up when they did, because otherwise they were capped at what they could produce and sell. Yep. And that's not fun when you're a home brewer. You want to go crazy. Yeah. Right. I mean, just, you can still do that as a home brewer, but you're not selling. You know uh, right. I mean? So as a business, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked on their website. They had like 14 pages of beers. Yeah. And some of them were, you know, not, they're not making them anymore, but that's just kind of cool to see how many different ones they've had over the years, Mm -hmm. you know, that they're, they're one of those breweries that's still trying new things. Yep. It's not, you know, the the same 10 beers on all the time, every time you go. They had some fun names. So I clicked through that a little bit just to see, and I I got to maybe page six or seven, then I stopped, but. I went 14 to 10 just to see what it was, <laughs> the old stuff was. So. They had one called Smoke Break. I don't know what that is. but oh, That's probably seems... like a smoked porter or Maybe, something like that. Yeah. Mm, cool. Uh, so that was some of that stuff I did. They do a bourbon barrel version of this once a year. Oh. And that, that'd probably be my jam. That'd be interesting. You'd probably pump the ABV up to, I would say, around 6.5 or so is my guess. Hmm, okay. Um, so Low Country, we're going to start with that. That's where... Charleston County lies in the state, and that's okay. where this guys are from. Um, it is a geographic and also a cultural region. So the way the state is set up, there are um, sand hills, not unlike ours. Like Western Nebraska. Right? Yeah. So yeah. they were formed between 75,000 to 6,000 years ago, and the wind just blew in basically ocean sand, right, or beach sand. Sure. And put it all across the state, South Carolina. And on the, that's like the divider line, but it's at an angle. So if you're north of that, then you're in the up country or the high country. Okay. And if you're below that, you're in the low country. Okay. And that area is marshy, a lot of water. Um, and it's, I don't know, that part of the state's been around with people since like the late 1600s. Okay. Um, a lot of slave labor was used to grow rice. That's their main thing there. And then also indigo, like dye, mm-hmm. from that's a natural dye that people would have had and traded all the way across the United States. Sure, that's from that area too. So those were two of the big um, money makers, and the people that own those areas, those plantations and those farms, uh, had a lot of money. So it's like an old money place in the United States. Makes sense. And that's kind of why Charleston has that, you know, repus- rep. Uh, what am I trying to say? Rep. Re- reputation reputation oh. not representation that's a lawyer thing that so you're gonna go with uh reparations reparations that probably should be there too but probably. that's a different <laughs> r word uh reputation okay it has an old money expensive feel in charleston is what i've heard i've never been there have you no i've Mm-mm. nope your band's never taken you down there maybe no, no. travels no. never i've no. been to charleston's restaurant in omaha well, that's that's a that's really good. A little different. They have good mashed potatoes. <laughs> um, Their rolls are good. Charleston is now becoming. Um, it's in the same area as Hilton Head. That's a term you've heard or a place. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very touristy nowadays. Okay. People go there for um, beach vacations. Um, there's a lot of golf, famous golf courses in that area. Mm-hmm. The weather's pretty warm all year round. Um, they have a lot of like wetlands and protected parks and stuff like that. Oh. Uh, and bike 
it, riding and cycling is is big, okay. which is probably why those guys were doing their thing there. The cycle shop, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, let's see, what else was I going to say about it? Oh, um, that is where Stephen Colbert's from, Charleston, South Carolina. Oh. And that's where the guy, what am I going to, can I think of his name? Danny McBride. From uh, like from that '70s show? No, Danny McBride from like the Gemstones and uh, um, the baseball show on HBO. Why am I blanking on it? Oh, uh, it's Eastbound and Down. Yeah, from oh, Blanca. Yeah, that guy is about. from there. Okay. So a lot of the shows he does for HBO, he writes and shoots them there. Oh. Because he doesn't like LA, so that's becoming mm. now a a very popular place to shoot TV and movie. Okay. Um, so it's, you'll, and also I think Bill Murray lives in Charleston. I'm pretty sure. Pretty oh. positive about that. Nice. Uh, so there's a lot of celebrities hanging out there and that just makes it be a place that people want to go. So tourism is a big thing there. Hmm. There also is something called, um, low country architecture and it's basically a style of house. Um, cause it's hot there, humid all the time, mm-hmm. or especially in the summertime. Um, so the houses tended to be big and wide. So the, the roof is not so much peaked as it's more of like a slope ah. to keep the heat from mm-hmm. being in one central area. Yep, yep. It kind of disperses it throughout. And they're usually, those houses were built up on stilts off the ground to get off the ground uh-huh. to get some breeze in there. And then there's usually, a, it's almost like a, a shotgun style house from like New Orleans, which is just a straight rectangle. Mm-hmm. It's like that with some things on the side. So there's a breezeway, they call it. So you open the front door and the back door, it's a straight shot. And then you just get air through your entire house. Mm -hmm. They also have um, big covered porches because that's where people would sleep a lot of times in the summer or just hang out in general because it was so hot Hot. to be in the house. Uh, And they have really like almost oversized windows is kind of the design of these houses just to get more air. Interesting. Um, Or you could just have air conditioning. Now, uh, you know, 1780, Mm. eh, not so much. Sit in some ice, maybe. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. uh, what was the other thing I talked about? That golf, tennis. Uh, millions of people end up in Charleston every year. Um, the cuisine—that's the thing. That was a term I knew about. So low country. Uh, it's like the cousin of Cajun food. Okay. It's similar because the people in the region that settled it are similar. Okay. Um, backgrounds mix of um, Native American, slave, um, like French. Um, I think it was. Yeah, a lot of French, definitely in, in New Orleans. And they mix all those cultures together and the, and the foods that came with it and made this new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, low country is like a step down from Cajun as far as spice. So it's like all the things you like about Cajun food, just not as spicy, if that makes sense. Okay. So they do like crawfish boil or they, they mm. call it frogmore stew, um, <laughs> which is a shrimp. It's basically a shrimp boil. Frogmore. That's, I think, the area or the town or wherever mm, this was okay. credited from. Okay. Um, but they do a lot of crabs and shrimp in this area. Okay. And yep. mussels mm. and that sort of thing. Not so much crawfish like you get in, in Louisiana, yep. but those are pretty much in everything. Any dish is pretty much going to have some sort of shellfish in it. Mm. Unlike Louisiana's food, um, it's usually one. They usually just dedicate it one. So you're, like, you're having crab soup or you're having... Shrimp and grits, like mm. that's how they do it. Versus New Orleans is like, let's take five things and throw it in, and the dump pot. them all in there. Right, I'll eat any of those. Quite honestly, that's, I would too. Yeah. Um, I wrote down a list of some of the ones that either sound good or I've had. Okay. Uh, this one's called Cooter Soup. 
Oh. And that's that's turtle soup. Oh. So I hear turtle is supposed to be really good. It is very good. Really? I've never had it. You've had it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I've had it in Louisiana. So I had a Cajun version, but... Mm. Um, I've never had it before. Yeah, it's pretty mm. good. And okay. uh, my grandpa used to make it every once in a while. Mm. On the farm, We would, if we would go fishing in the pond, mm. and you'd catch a big snapping turtle. Yeah. You just bash that thing over the head, and we got turtle soup. Turtle soup. Mm-mm, yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they mm-hmm. make sweet potato and crab soup. That's pretty popular down there. Gross. I don't like sweet potatoes. Yeah, I'm not a fan either. No. Oh, hey. No. We just bonded over the hate oh, of uh, no. sweet, sweet potatoes. Yes. Sweet potato, get out of here. <laughs> Give me a Yukon Gold or a Russet potato. Get out of here with right. the sweet potato. Yeah. Or what don't are you even, trying to be? Don't yeah. try to call it a yam. I'm on to you. Dumb. Yeah. Get that out oh, of here. Oh, but it tastes like pumpkin pie. Eat pumpkin pie. Yeah, not a, no. And when some place is trying to give you like a sweet potato fry no slap them on the floor oh, yeah get these out of here get them out of here sick no <sighs> uh anyway <laughs> shrimp of, and grits that's a, a big hate. thing there's yeah. a lot of hate well, for sweet potatoes we hate right them there. that's true okay we don't like them this ain't a sweet potato love show this is a beer Mm-mm. show um shrimp and grits <laughs> yes. so grits are a huge staple down there love them uh, hominy long. is a style of grain or whatever they make it's a, it's just a giant corn yeah, it's just yeah. Like corn right yeah. yeah so that's that's something that grows down there pretty well and that's mm. why they've had grits all the time they're more white it's more white yeah, yeah. kind of yeah okay and then what was the other thing i wrote down oh this is something that you would only have down there it's called charleston red rice and it's west african influence so as the slaves brought this over okay basically it's cooking rice with tomatoes smashing up tomatoes and throwing them in and then adding bacon oh. i mean that sounds pretty good to me oh yeah and then this other thing that they called Hop and John. It's a side dish. So if you went to like a barbecue or a picnic down there, you might get a plate full of Hop and John. Hop and John. So I had to look that up because I was like, well, that's, that's weird. Yeah. And it's basically beans, like beans like you'd get. Like and red like beans? Kidney yeah, beans. Like that sort of thing. And okay. then peas and rice oh. all mixed together. Okay. And then it usually has some bacon or like pork in it. Yeah. And then... You eat that on New Year's Eve. That's a big New Year's Eve food. Okay. And then the next day, you call the leftovers with something like Skinny Sally or something. <laughs> it was like another name. <laughs> and that's to show like, okay, you know, we're, we might have been bare bones last year. Yeah. But from now on, we're going to be, you know, have a great year. So we're going to get rid of the old year, eat, use up all the stuff so we can start fresh this year. Okay. And so that's like a traditional... You eat the leftovers on New Year's Day to start your year on the upswing, basically. Okay. So I was, yeah, something. Jenny or Sally was in the name. I can't remember. Make some Hoppin' John. Sounds good. Hoppin' John. Mostly rice. A lot of rice and and that sort of stuff down there. That's fine with me. So that's what I know about that. Low country. Interesting. Made me hungry. Yeah. Mm. I'd take some stripper grits right now. Right now. If it had some cheese on it. I like the cheesy grits. (sighs) I'd like to, yeah. I've never, mm, grits are... I never finish it. How about that? I try it because I think I'm going to like it, and then I don't really like it. Then I eat another bite just to solidify the mm. thought of not liking it, mm. and then and yeah. then I'm about good right there. Grits are the only food that I'll eat that goes against my... my, my I have like a food code. Sure. Okay. Who doesn't? My food code is it, you, can't be, you can't be everything to everybody, right? This is mm-hmm. why I don't like... Uh, cottage cheese. Oh yeah, that's gross. Gross. Never mind that it's just super curdled weirdness. Mm-hmm. But you, there are some people that put salt and pepper on it. Sure. There are some people that eat it with fruit. Yeah. There are some people that eat it with like chicken or whatever. No, no. Mm. You're either you're either sweet or you're not. Right. Yeah. I mean, 
But grits are the kind you can have it for breakfast with some fruit, or then you can put some butter in it and you oh, have it, yeah. right? Or you put it with shrimp or whatever. It yeah. breaks my food code. Wow. But I'm okay with that because it's delicious. So how did you try it for the first time? Uh, I was at a conference in Florida. Oh, gosh, man. This was, I can't even tell you how long ago it was. But it was it was kind of early, maybe late 90s, early 2000s, okay. somewhere in there. And it was with Ameritrade when I was with Ameritrade. And... Uh, yeah, for whatever reason, it was on the breakfast buffet, and I was mm-hmm. feeling adventurous that morning. And so, you like I, woke up on the right side of the bread. I and guess. You know what? Grits. I'm gonna try some grits today. A and little they, spoonful. Oh, it was just a little bit. Yeah, but they were like the they were like the cheesy buttery grits, and yeah. oh god, they were so good. Hmm. I've, so I've good. only grits I've really ever liked were the ones I made at home. Do you make the like the instant ones, like the or whatever? No, they, no? it was it was like with a recipe, and hmm. yeah, we made shrimp and grits mm. and added some cheese in it and. Some Cajun stuff. It was pretty good. We should go to uh, the Arcadia Grill for lunch today and go get some shrimp and grits. Boy. <laughs> there you go. Do that. I love that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's off topic, but on su- in Sunday's paper, there was a big story in the living section about all the Cajun restaurants in town because oh. of the jazz closure. Yeah. Which Wait, was, what? Yeah. Yeah, jazz closed. Downtown. What? Mm-hmm. When did this happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday? I don't know. I wonder what happened to that guy. So, you know the story about that guy? Jazz? Yeah. Well, I th- all I know is it was like some kind of a chain-ish restaurant he uh this was the dude he came up from katrina he was one of the uh uh one of the that was displaced mm, from yeah. katrina and came here and opened open jazz wow yeah well, legit he, it was good yeah it was good it was the only place i used to go there on mondays it was mud bug mondays you get two pounds of crawfish and a beer mm, what a deal that's mm. a deal it's because he had vanilla porter on top <laughs> or the vanilla bean yeah yeah and they had gross. uh they had a lot of Abita beers there. Oh, that didn't surprise me. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. remember having those. New Orleans, mm-hmm. Los, you know, Louisiana. Yeah. It was a fun mm-hmm. spot. Hmm. I kind of liked it down there. I liked it a lot. I, yeah. it, we, the building next to it is a music venue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so every time we played a show there, we'd go to the jazz right before. Get loaded up on get loaded red up beans on and rice, and, Cajun food, and then yeah. go pay for it on stage and make others pay for it. After look like paid. look like we're sweating because we're playing really hard, <laughs> oh, but yeah. it's really just the that andouille sausage was uh, hot. <laughs> here's here's what I you know it's it, natural progression, right? We were talking about foods there in Charleston, uh-huh. right? Versus you know in, in, sure. in being like a cousin to Louisiana, like uh-huh. crawfish, Cajun cuisine, yeah. or whatever. I, I can't, I couldn't find anything on this. How the heck did these guys? run how did they get into a rickshaw business in the first place like this are you i mean can you read my notes no i'm not looking at your notes i have rickshaw no you don't i have rickshaw history i want it happens every week (laughs) this is great clearly we're this many episodes in and well here's why here's the answer okay tourism okay the answer is tourism because the only place you see them are in high tourist areas we've we have them down in the old market there's a couple I've seen, uh-huh. or like College World Series time, you'll see yes. them. Anytime mm-hmm. there's an influx of tourists, yep. you will see them out there. Okay. Whether it's an actual rickshaw, mostly what we see now are pedicabs. The, the bikes. So a guy biking and pulling yep. two people. Or What's that one. called? What is pedicab. It? Petty. P-A-D-I. P-E-D-I, like petty. Oh, like, like pedaling. Yes. Okay, yep. okay. So, yeah, that's where we're going. That's okay. the second half of my, my that's, research. That's freaking awesome. All right, rickshaw. Boom. This also makes me think of, I think it was, oh 
boy. Uh, the sketch comedy show that was from Canada. Kids in the Hall. Oh, yeah. I think it might have been a Kids in the Hall sketch. I don't remember why. Okay. But these people were supposed to go someplace, and mm-hmm. they had to be there on time. And one of the guys didn't get there, but like, I don't know, years late. <laughs> and and years. It was the punchline of the sketch was like, it was because he took a rickshaw to get there. And it took him so long. And then the, the driver said, don't blame rickshaw driver. He just, you know, he, he went as fast as he could. So that's stuck in my head for 30 years. It's so dumb. But that's my sense of humor. See, mine, would, mine goes back to Seinfeld. Mm. To Kramer and Newman getting the rickshaw and, yeah. and trying to get the homeless people to pull the rickshaws or whatever. And then the one homeless guy runs off with it and then they find him later in Battery yep. Park. And, yep. Yeah. So you uh, even know the park that they found it. It's see, ridiculous. the rickshaws. Oh, <laughs> they're still around in, very popular in New York City, huh? uh, but they're expensive. And they're in uh, Seattle quite a bit. Okay. I was doing a little bit of research and they're in Charleston. Huh? Okay, and they're in Savannah, Georgia, which are all southern places. Those those ones, um, southern touristy, mm-hmm. and people that go there, um, they're not cheap places, so they're expensive, and it's kind of like, um, like an indulgence basically for Ooh. now. So it's like, I'm not gonna walk three blocks to the next brewery. I will pay this guy to pedal me there, right? That's like what they are. Sure. So it's like a special indulgence that you do on vacation. You're not doing that in your normal life, but on vacation you'll do things that you're like, you know what, okay, so I'm, I'm on vacation. 20 bucks for a rickshaw ride. All right, fine. Like, fine, yeah, it's, it okay. might rain. Okay, All cool. Right. So that's kind of like why it's still around mm-hmm. and where it is. The history of them, I'm not surprised about this when I learned some of these things. Um, basically... Kind of consensus is they were created in um, Japan. Okay. Like 1869 is the time. So that seems late to me. It does seem late. But the reason it was 1869 is because of, there was a new, um, I don't know if it was an emperor, feudal lord, whoever was in charge of Japan back then, new regime shows up. And they're like, hey, you know what? We used to have a law that said no wheeled vehicles. Which, okay. Okay. So why? Yeah. Why? Some, that seems strange to me. Right. We're going to go ahead and let you have wheeled vehicles now. Uh-huh. And they say, okay, cool. So then they created a rickshaw. And that's the for, like the wheeled vehicle that they used. Like a horse pulling a wagon wasn't sufficient. They needed a dude pulling a, a dude. wagon. Well, there's reasons for that. Smaller So wagon. before the rickshaw, that's how you got around. You either got around by an animal pulling you, mm-hmm. like an ox or a cow or a horse or whatever. You're mm-hmm. in a wagon. Sure. But for the most part, those are not real readily available in like big cities. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's okay. some. Well, and I would assume that it just costs too many magic beans to to get. I mm. think you're onto something there too, Dolan. Mm. Uh, the other thing people used before was just a wheelbarrow. Oh. And you'd just sit in the wheelbarrow and someone would push you. Okay. And that's crazy to me to think mm. 160 years ago, if you wanted to go somewhere, that might be how you got there. I called Dolan up on my... Uh, yep. <laughs> You'd have to send a letter and be like, hey, four days from today, come over with the wheelbarrow. I would yes. like to go to town. <laughs> I would like to go to town. And that's how it goes. <laughs> My kid has a nursery rhyme book. And forever, until today, I didn't know what it came from. But it was a guy in London. Okay. And he was a bachelor. And he wanted to go find a wife. So he took his wheelbarrow into town and got one and took her home. And I was like, what the hell is it in a wheelbarrow? <laughs> but then the wheelbarrow broke. The wheel broke off and she fell out and they didn't get married. And she broke her crown and... Something then, like that. Okay, okay. And I was like, why is it a wheelbarrow? <laughs> well, that's why. Um, 
So they became popular in the late 1880s. They started in Japan and then they just kind of boomed all across Europe and Asia. They made their way to Africa, Australia, and the United States, which is weird. But I guess if it's a like a transportation thing that you didn't have before and now mm-hmm. you can get someplace, it's probably going to spread. Sure. Um, it was universally accepted that only men could pull the cart. Okay. Right? So it was a man, it's like a low paying man's job. Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to get. Sure. So um, they had a bunch of, I don't even know if I would call them drivers, pullers. I don't know what the term would be, but they had a bunch of strikes worldwide. Okay. People were like, we're not doing this anymore. We want more money. Mm. And like had organized strikes about it to not pull rich people, basically, is yeah. how it turned out to be. Yeah. And usually they were crushed because mm. there's always more poor people to hire. So True. they That's didn't really worry about that group. They got rid of them and brought in some new ones. Yeah. Well, there were no there were no labor unions back no. then. And then it was also usually like um, the poorest immigrants would be the ones that would get this job. Like, uh, we don't want your kind here unless you pull me to the bar. Mm, only Irish need to apply. S- something that, like right? that. Yeah, or just... like uh, Singapore was a place that there was another oh. group that they said, okay, you guys can do this and that's right. it. Um, I was kind of thinking like, okay, what's what would be the reason to need one or use one? Okay. And then I found this stat and I was like, what? These guys, especially in Asia, they would average... 20 to 30 miles a day they would pull somebody Jeez. at eight miles an hour oh so they're running yeah. for 30 miles a day that's a marathon every day that they're averaging at eight miles an hour holy cow and with that's how fast weight. they could go with yeah you're pulling, yeah, somebody. You're pulling somebody i'm like okay yeah so you can go a lot farther yeah you know than you would and you're going like distances God. rich families would have their own like stable of guys that would run and pull the rickshaw <laughs> They would like trade off. Sometimes they would take two. Sure. Um, it seemed to be um, if you had one person, the ride was smoother than if you're two people pulling because then you're like kind of oh, lunging it and stuff. Right, right. And it was not as fun of a ride or it was mm. a little rougher. So they would just trade off. The other guy would like run behind it and then yes. take over when the other guy got tired and he would run the rest of the way. So mm. it's like, that's crazy to think that that was yeah. 150 years ago. That's how people would do stuff. Yeah. So... That was reason why. Um, up until World War II, they kind of were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, everybody all over the world was using these things. Okay. And then in World War II, they kind of got shut down. And basically it was because, A, it was like the people that ran the countries and the rich people were like, just looks bad. We're developing as a country. Mm-hmm. We don't need a person to pull another person. Like, that just looks bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad PR. Yeah. Some people said it was because the rich person or just any person was too close to the laborer. Because they're not that far apart when you're pulling the guy. It's sure. like within a foot, right? Right. And they're like, oh, that he's too close to the commoner. We can't have that. That uh, looks bad. I thought you meant close like, hey, Gary, how are your feet doing? Oh, it kind of hurts. <laughs> oh, well, let's take a break or whatever. I don't know? think they cared not about that. that. They didn't no. care about that. Okay. Probably, yeah, I don't think they cared about that. Um, they did say that pulling the rickshaw, uh, the quote I read was, it's the deadliest occupation in the East and most degrading for human beings to pursue. So if you're so down and out, you have Hmm. to take a job to pull a rickshaw. That's like the worst thing you can do, Hmm. uh, at least in the Asian culture back then at that time. Um, There were some theories. They had, of course, when we 
maybe know a fact or we think we know, well, then America has to chime in and say, nah, we actually did that first, y'all. Sure. So there's three different versions of where rickshaws came from. And amazingly, they all came from the United States. Mm. Here's one of them. A guy was a missionary, but he lived in, in like, Tokyo area of Japan. Okay. Around the same time, maybe two years before. Yep. And his wife was invalid. She couldn't walk or whatever. Mm. So he's like, you know, I want to take her around and show her the sights, but she can't move. I'll build this cart thing and then I'll drag her around the city and she can see stuff. Okay. Um, they already made those sort of things, especially in Victorian England. Um, so around the same time, okay. they were like called um, bath chairs. And it was basically like a wheelchair that someone pulled. So if you couldn't walk, you couldn't mm. move, um, you would sit in one of these and then someone would take you around. Mm. So it's kind of the same thing, just a little bit different design. Bath chair, because it was like bigger, like a bathtub maybe? Well, or just, yeah, I guess, something like that. Mm. Um, another story was this blacksmith made one of these in 1846, he put together the parts. It was for a missionary trip to go yeah. like to South America. And this was to pull like gear and you know supplies. And then the third one, some carriage maker in 1867 in New Jersey allegedly made one, and they have it in their museum there, okay. which is the same time, about 10 years before the one in Japan. So sure. who knows? But every all the other evidence points to Tokyo area as being the people that created this. I'm going to go with that. I think that's, yeah. In 1962, pedicabs showed up for the first time in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that's in Seattle at the World's Fair. So they would take you from your parking spot or whatever to the fair itself. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what we see nowadays. Somebody just welded a bike frame to the... Pretty much, or, yeah. Or made it so that you could fit two people across. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have these things that are called auto. And then there's another one called electric rickshaw. And really, it's not kind of what you're thinking. It's more of like, if you think about, okay, um, India or... That's probably the best town I could think of. It's like a little scooter. Okay. Like a tiny little scooter, a three-wheeled scooter uh-huh. that there's a guy driving and there's two people sitting in behind. Okay. That's like an electric uh, rickshaw, technically. Yep. Because it's smaller than a car. I saw those in Jamaica when we were there yes. years ago. So but, places like yeah. that. They've been having those even up until the 90s. They still make those. Hmm. Germany was a big producer. Okay. And uh, anywhere that there's a lot of people in little space, you're going to see these things. Okay. So... Um, China, a lot of places in there, um, Middle Eastern countries, India, anything like that is going to be nowadays an auto or an electric. Hmm. So either driving it, um, someone's driving you or you're driving it yourself. Sure. But it's smaller than a car, but not a bicycle. Okay. Technically a rickshaw. Hmm. So that's the information. That's what I got on, on the old rickshaw. That's super interesting. That's just, uh, yeah. But I'd... the reason it's there, those guys were already into biking. Yep. It's a tourist area, a way to make money. From what I know about people that like to ride bikes, they don't care where they're riding bikes. They just want to ride bikes. They just want to ride. And if they can make money while they're riding the bike, mm-hmm. even better. Yep. So that's my guess. They were just in the dead time of tourism, and that's why that brewery started and, up. And that's where it came from. Because of the rickshaw from Tokyo in 1879. Yeah, I'm, I'm more inclined to buy that it was created over in yeah. mm-hmm. Japan, China. Like you, That's the pictures you see more often than yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's when you, even the name, it's a Japanese name for the thing. So it wasn't like we called it the rickshaw. Right. We would have come up with some other. We just translated the Japanese term. Pedicab. Wheel cart. Something like that. Mm, Yes. You know? Yes. Inverse wheelbarrow. Yeah. I don't know. Fancy barrow. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, Untapped. This this was shocking to me, and this I guess I shouldn't be I shouldn't be surprised by this because twenty six thousand check ins. Dang, that's a ton. That's a lot. That is a lot. That tells me the brewery's been around a long time, mm-hmm. and that it's one of their standard beers because it's. If it was a seasonal or something, you wouldn't get those those numbers. The the description here on Untapped, our second flagship beer was an effort to bring the American porter style to the Charleston market proper, while also making a beer that stays appealing as the mercury rises. We think we've succeeded in Pluff Mud Porter. It presents and smells like a classic porter with subtle chocolate notes and a silky finish, but the medium body and tame ABV keep it refreshing at all times, enjoys throughout the year, in or out of the marsh. There you go. It's lighter to me than a porter. It like is. when you said porter, I was thinking darker, thicker. Darker. Mm-hmm. And this thing, I mean, it hasn't changed much as it's warmed up. Mm-mm. It hasn't. But it it almost looks like now where I'm at the bottom almost looks like tea. It yes. You know, it has like a tea characteristic to it. Tastes good. There's no aftertaste really. Sometimes that's another knock on porters is you get that roasty f- flavor in your mouth mm. after you're done drinking it and some people akin that to coffee, you know. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't notice that with this one. No, I like this one a lot. I like I, early on before we came on, I'm like, gosh, I don't know about porters. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I'm gonna like this. I enjoyed it. I really liked it a lot. Yeah, this is just a different style. We're not gonna find something like this around here. Nope. So twenty six thousand check ins. What do you think the average score is? Dolan. Three six. I'm gonna go three point seven four. Three point seven six. Whoa. <laughs> That was close. One of these days you're going to hit I was going to go over under, and I was like, I'll go under this time. You're going to hit it on the money. So I, I think, quite honestly, I would, I, I don't know. As porters go, I, I enjoyed this one. This is probably mm-hmm. a four for me, I think. I don't, mm. I have no problem with it. I, yeah. I would order this. If we were there, I would order it again. Yeah, I would I would get this again. I find myself wanting more of it, I you think. You know, as I drink this, you know what I wanted in this was mint. Oh. I don't know why, but I just feel like if it finished with some mint, that would be really good. Could be time of year, too. Could maybe. be. It'll be time. Give me that green wall I'm staring at. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I don't. What do you? Th- what do you think? What do you um, I don't know. I I, I would have raked it a, uh, probably like a three five. Um, you still can. Yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. if I get better at doing that. <laughs> I'm gonna keep on you. Not his style though. No. At all. No, it's it's not something. I feel like if I'm gonna go dark, I'm gonna go all the way. That's been my theory for a long time on porters. I'm like, well, why don't I just drink a stout? Right. Mm, but sometimes you can't do a stout. This is 5.5. You know, this is this is no worries. So, I don't know. If I, if I had this and this was available, I'd get it. See, and I think I would take the opposite there. I wouldn't order the stout, but I would definitely order this again. Yeah. So, that kind of, because I'm not a stout guy. I, yeah. I'm more, this is, this is way better. Don't worry. Next I, year, I'll get you. I almost Ooh. take stouts as a challenge. Oh. Like you see them on the menu, and yeah. then you see the ABV, yeah, you're like yeah. that one. <laughs> I, my time is so limited, like at the brewery or whatever, uh-huh. you know, with kids and family yeah, and, and right. all that kind of stuff. So it's just I'm not. I, I'd spend my I'm going to spend my time on the beers that I like. That's, Here's a pro you know. tip for you. And yeah. This is something I recently started doing. Mm-hmm. If I go to a place, I know I'm going to have two beers, mm-hmm. right? Let's say I'm going, and, and I might have done this at Cross Strain recently. Okay. I know I'm going to get a stout. Okay. That's just in my... I have to. It's in my DNA. Sure. And I'm going to have an IPA. Okay. I'll order both those beers at the same time. Because that stout can warm up. 
That's mm. fine. And I actually want it to warm up a little bit because I don't want it to be 34 degrees that they pour it at. Right. I'll order those both, especially in a taster, if you're doing that sort of situation. Because mm-hmm. like when you get a flight, you get them all at the same time. Right. Same thing with a pint. Drink some of the IPA, taste the stout, IPA, whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you're on a time crunch, but you know you're going to have two beers or something like that. Sure. Um, that way you can enjoy both of them at the same time and you can notice how the stout changes over time right okay so that's usually what i like to do just get it out of the way especially if i know i'm just going to be there and done i'll just give them my card tab out i have the things i need i can enjoy it over time Mm -hmm. and make sure i get the thing that i want to get so that's my tip you don't find that uh crossing the streams so to speak Mm. is uh is bad well sometimes i'll do a third glass and that's water and just water between the ipa and the stout yeah but no it make for me. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just my palate or whatever. But mm. I like going back and forth because then it kind of wakes you up again. You're mm-hmm. like, oh dang, this is really fruity or whatever. Hmm. If you alternate, it seems like your brain has to keep up with you. Because if you're just got a pint, the first couple times you're drinking it, you're like, mm, this is great. And by the end, you're like, oh, what was that? What did it taste like? Hmm. This is a way to like refresh your your palate every time. That but, is a pro tip. You know, a lot of R and D gone into that, <laughs> and some dollars. <laughs> Brian, we're not going anywhere for a while. Let's uh, have a whole fridge full of beers. (laughs) Thank you for listening to A Beer with Atlas. Special thanks to our brand team for producing the show. Each episode of A Beer with Atlas is powered by Atlas Medstaff, an industry leader in travel healthcare staffing.